today when you leave this facility, you will more than likely go to lunch. That lunch can be understood in multiple ways. You may go through a drive-through on your way to work or on your way to do something else that if you're the parent of a middle or a teen, middle schooler or a high schooler, you just do stuff all the time. But you're going to eat. You may go sit down at one of Lake Jackson's finest restaurants, like Denny's. You may go to your house where someone's prepared a meal. Regardless of where you go to eat and what you eat, that food will nourish you, it will provide for you, it will help you to continue going. That food is there for you to live. And for you to live, something had to die. Every meal that we eat tells us that story. Every time we sit down at a restaurant or we sit down at a table, every time we wolf down Whataburger in our car, for you to live, something had to die. If you are eating a hamburger or a cheeseburger, a cow had to die. If you are eating barbecue, a pig or another cow had to die. Not even just the animals. If you were eating vegetables, our vegetarian friends would let us know quickly that those plants had to die. If you're going to have Chicken McNuggets today, Pink Play-Doh had to die. <laughs> Google it. For you to live, something has to die. It's embedded in us. Every bite that you take, everything that you digest. For you to live, something had to die. We meet in Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 14 this morning in verse 12. We are looking at the story of Jesus offering up the, the last supper to his disciples. And as, he, as we read through this, I want you to keep a couple of things in mind. God is summoning to us from the book of Exodus chapter 24 the, the idea of covenant relationship between God and his people. We have reached the boiling point of the story of Mark. The Pharisees believe they are removing the hostile threat of Jesus and his would-be minions while Jesus is in actuality removing the hostile threat of sin and death and hell. People are flooding into this area for Passover for multiple reasons. They are flooding there for Passover, but there is this extra energy in the air because they are flooding there for this Jesus. There is a Messiah in their midst, possibly. Rome is going to be undone. They are going to overthrow a government that has oppressed them and made them feel as if they did not belong. Uh, and these Pharisees and even the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, no one wants a riot, so they're keeping everything at a whisper. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him wherever he enters. Tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So, and they entered the city, and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the, the Passover meal. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him one by one, Hey, surely it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping the bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. One more time with verse 21. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. As they were eating, he took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then they took the cup. After giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank it. He said, he said they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a, a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And they said to them, then he, Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I, I will. I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. They all said the same thing. One of the leaders of the Jewish people at this time was a man named Gamaliel. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, he's dealing with an... What has taken place post-resurrection of Jesus? Jesus has come back and he has sent his disciples into the world to declare this is the hope of the world. Jesus, my body, my broken body, my shed blood. And there's a point when they're all wrestling with what to do with some of the guys they've arrested. And Gamaliel says the wisest thing for a Pharisee. He says, if this is of God, if this is of man, then it's going to eventually come to its conclusion. But if this is of God, then nothing can stop what's of God. Nothing can stop what's of God. Gamaliel was a major figure and he would say this when we look at the notion of the Passover meal. There were three things that have to be there. And you cannot have Passover apart from these three things. You have to have the lamb. You have to have the necessary sacrifice. The lamb to be the necessary sacrifice. You have to have the bread which was delivered in haste. It's unleavened bread. And you had to have the herbs that were made, that made the lives, that represent the lives of the Jewish people being bitter in Egypt. So we have this notion of what Passover is and the disciples were very familiar with Passover and he sends them into town to get the elements for them as a group of men to take Passover together to celebrate the Exodus, to celebrate God's delivery of the nation of Israel from Egyptian captivity. He gives them some instructions. When you get there, there will be a man carrying water. It's Almost as if this man is a secret agent because at this point in history, men don't carry water. 
This man's carrying water. When you see him, you go talk to him. He will send you to the place where you need to go. You will talk to a man in the house. When you have a conversation with the man in the house, he'll let you know where the meal should be eaten. He'll know that I'm the teacher. You have this conversation with the man. You see that in verse 14. He enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, that's Jesus. Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out. They entered the city. They found the man he had told them to find. And they prepared the Passover. Everything is going as planned. Everything is there. We are about to have this very, very important meal. Things will begin to take place in regard to the elements that we had a conversation about. They would sing psalms. Psalm 113, Psalm 114. On top of that, they would remember the elements that we just discussed that represented everything that the people had gone through. These psalms pointed the hearts of the people toward that. There were herbs there, as I said. We want to remember the bitterness of our time in Egypt, the bitterness of our captivity, the unleavened bread. And that bread is unique because here's what's taking place with it. It was striped. It was pierced. It's unleavened because the children of Israel were delivered in haste. They ran out. The bread being striped and pierced has no real rhyme or reason other than the fact that it is subconscious foreshadowing of something more. The lamb is used to remember. The sacrifice is there. And at the end of the meal, they would have uh, psalms of thanksgiving. There was a cup of redemption they would drink that Jesus doesn't drink here. He'll drink later in Mark. All of this working together. All of this at play, put in motion by a sovereign God who is at work to show this is what my deliverance looks like. This is its fulfillment. This is the hope that we would see that Jesus is the Lamb who is the sacrifice. That we would see and we would know and we would acknowledge the bitterness of what sin is in each and every one of us. That we would remember that Jesus was striped and pierced for our sake. That we would know that the, the work of God, that He is our provision. We need to see and know and examine these things. We need to remember. Because remembering matters. In, in 2004, I was speaking to a group of teenagers in Virginia. The worship leader began to wax poetic, as they do oftentimes, apart from here at 2257 Dixie Drive. That's our address. And he said the weirdest thing. He said, we're going to sing a song that has been sang hundreds of thousands of times. And people who have never heard the name of Jesus know the words to this song. I'm processing in my mind what song this young man is talking about. As he strums his guitar with soul patch in tow. I had no idea what experience we were going to have together. It was 2004. I thought we may sing ba ba ba. He then went into a boom boom boom. He then went into amazing grace. I think his math was off, but it's cool. He limped through the first verse as one does 
when they are forced to sing around a campfire while children make s'mores. And then he went into verse number two. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." He strummed awkwardly on the guitar for about 30 seconds as one does when he or she is lost. And then he said in this closing moment, then when we first begun, I went to him afterward and said, you need to interview those people who have never heard the name of Jesus that know the words to that song. Because you do not. We have spiritual rhythms and practices in place. Most, believer, most believe the disciples were anywhere from, from their teens to their early 30s. They have done this meal multiple times. It's practice, it's ritual, it's rhythm or something that they are familiar with. They are familiar with the Passover. They know everything that there is to know about it. They understand what they're about to do. They know everything that is going to happen. They know the way that the meal would be set up. They would know that they are going to leave a piece of bread. They're going to hide a piece of bread to celebrate the coming return of Elijah. It's their usual religious observance. And then Jesus, in verse 17, makes this holiday ritual meal uncomfortable from the start. Can you imagine... Your family meal, your holiday meal, and someone says the most uncomfortable, unexpected, uh, overwhelming comment ever. Jesus looks at them while they're reclining, about to eat, and says to them, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One of you is going to turn your back on me. And they began to distress themselves. And that distress came down to this. Will it be me? Now they have stumbled their way through the gospel of Mark. Moments that were absolutely victorious. And moments that were incredibly embarrassing. If you'll remember in Mark, early on in Mark, they're able to cast out demons. By Mark chapter 8, they can't do that anymore. These men are going through difficult hardships and and here they're wrestling with who they are as someone who would claim to follow after this Messiah. Will it be me? To some extent, a form of betrayal is present in all of us. And it's in all of them. It doesn't take much for us to move in the direction that is out of alignment with what God would have for His people. It just doesn't. Small steps. We've we've heard the phrase our entire lives. You are one step from stupid. But to get there, you've taken 1,000 steps in poor direction. Little, minute steps. These men have been moving in a wayward way in regard to Jesus for years. They believe that they should sense when, when they look to this Jesus, will it be me? And I would say to every one of us who is a believing person in this room, with the reality present in me that not all of us are followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, when you begin to look at what sin is, you should have a holy discomfort in the face of it. It should cause us to quiver. Whatever sin that is. 
When a believer sins in, in a way, it should call the Holy Spirit of God that lives in a believer should raise up something in you that causes you to be discomfortable and move back to Him where you can find comfort alone. When a believer sins sexually, then there should be a holy discomfort that's there. When we sin out of anger or frustration or rage, when murder swells up in our hearts, a holy discomfort in the life of a believer. When pride causes us to see ourselves for more than we are, that this should all rise up in us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, while in prison, mind you, nothing we despise in the other man is entirely absent in ourselves. It's in us. And when we look to Judas and his betrayal, we cannot look without considering, is this a mirror? Is betrayal something that I'm partaking in? Jesus is sitting right beside Judas. He said to them, it's one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. A common dish, this dish, it meant mutual trust. Jesus has trusted him enough for them to sit beside one another and partake of the meal. And Judas's betrayal in this moment is incredibly heinous. It's awful. As they were eating, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them. Take it. This is my body. Up to this point, the bread in this story and the story of the Jewish people has represented Israel's expedient departure from Egyptian captivity. Now Jesus is showing the disciples the new exodus. When he shares the bread, he's making clear this gift of salvation is to and for them. He takes the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This whole thing has gone sideways in the midst. The disciples are listening to Jesus, and they're thinking to themselves, My entire life I've been told this was something, and now it's something else. It means more. It's fulfilled. It's richer. It's, you're saying all of this was about you. The answer to that question should be simple for us if we are in relationship with Jesus. All of this is about you? Yes! But for these men, this is absolutely different, overwhelmingly different. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom. The cup the disciples took, one man says, is mutual obligation. When you drink of the cup, you were saying, we're in this together. And it's rooted in the bond between God and the nation of Israel. When in Exodus 24, the people of God were sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. It's all written in Scripture. All of Scripture coming together for us. Now, practically, for us at Grace Bible... We are what is called, uh, we, we practice what's called believer's baptism. If you are here and you've never placed your faith in Christ, we're going to walk through with you what it means to trust Jesus, to trust that your sin is sending you to hell. You are separated from God for eternity because of that. 
You were born condemned and not un- you cannot undo your condemnation. But your only hope is that Jesus has come, taken your sin upon himself, died on a cross, and is resurrected. And we believe that he's coming again. You are saying that when you enter into relationship with Christ. And when you are baptized, you were saying, your baptism says your part. Now, we have members here who, are not, who came from different traditions. And though we teach that we believe that scriptures say to us, primarily and intentionally, we should practice believers' baptism. We have believers who are in relationship with us, who are part of our faith family that don't practice that. But here's one of the things you'll know. One of the more awkward conversations is when I urge and, and Help ask my friends to consider what it means to be immersed because that's the way that we understand the scriptures the best to unfold. When you are baptized, when you become part of the church, you are saying that you are with Jesus. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. You've been raised to walk a new kind of life. The Lord's Supper tells the same story. When we are baptized, we are saying we are with Jesus. When we take communion, we are saying that we are still with Jesus. That we are still together. That the teachings of this faith are still things that I hold on to. I still believe them to be true. I believe them to be important. I believe that Jesus is my only hope. It says we're still together. I play basketball between six and eight times a month as you can tell and early on I realized that my eyesight was bad and and Twain and I are Twain one of our um, musicians life group leaders we decide that we're going to order jerseys for the guys that play with us and you can pay us or not pay us most of you have paid us if not please pay Twain We order the jerseys, and they're reversible. Now, some of our guys are bad about bringing their jerseys. Two of the guys who are bad get to preach for me from time to time, and we're working through that together. Now, these jerseys, they're not pretty. Like They're just maroon, and they, they flip inside out, as, as things should do. And on the other side, they're white. Now, I always like to be on the white team because good guys wear white. But I like to make sure that we ha- at least one team is wearing jerseys because that says, that's who's with me. That's who's with me. And if between games I send another player to another team, because we do that from time to time, because honestly, there's this dumb rule in basketball where the first five guys are on the same team when they make their shot. That's a stupid rule because that says the five guys who can shoot the best get to be on the same squad. We like to make sure that teams are even, but... In so doing, I like for you to be wearing what I'm wearing so that I remember that we're together. As a church family, we celebrate communion every week to remind us that we're together. We push the notion of communion for believers. We're together. 
Now, if you are a member of grace, we're together. And you are saying that you still believe the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus are your hope. That's what we remember. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're a guest with us, you are always invited to take communion with us because we believe in the holistic sense of the, of the macro church that we're together. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I tell you not to take it. Because as much as I love you, I hope that we can have relationship and friendship. If you aren't in relationship with Jesus... I tell you not to take it because we don't have the same mission. We don't have the same Lord. We don't have the same Savior. We don't have the same partnership. The word fellowship is one that we use and we've tied it to potluck. Fellowship in the Scriptures is partnership. When we take communion, we're remembering that with these brothers and sisters who eat of this meal with us, that we have a partnership to advance the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We're still together. And it was so serious in Bible times that if you missed it, the leaders of the church would come to your house to make sure that you took it. It was a big deal. Now we miss it for everything. The church is a united people. Brothers and sisters united by the broken body of our Lord Jesus. Do this and remember me. The cup, do this. Did you drink this? You're entered into the new covenant. You are the new creation that God has made. Now 26 says, After singing a hymn, they went to the, mountain, to the Mount of Olives. And, they, and then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away because it is written. Now, the initial conversation with Judas, awkward. Post-meal, also awkward. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and, but I have risen. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And you get this moment with Peter, one of the figures in the Scriptures who we identify with so often. How many of you have ever heard a preacher say, man, I feel a lot like Peter? The reason that people say that is because Peter does dumb stuff. If everyone falls away, I won't. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, today, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. It's not just a stumble for Peter. I don't want to short sell it. Peter, in this moment where he betrays Jesus, it's an absolute disowning of him. The details are seared in Peter's brain. The details will drip from his words later on. When we read Mark's gospel, it's Mark's gospel. It's Mark's telling of the story of Jesus as told to him by Peter. We believe that to be true because of how specific he is when he talks about the things that Peter says. Peter keeps insisting, echoing the words of Jesus, when Jesus says that, the, that you would take up your cross to follow him. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And the rest of them say, yeah, 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 me too, me too, me too. What I can easily forget 
is that impetuous Peter is impetuous me. How often I make these massive commitments to the Lord that I don't see through. How often do you make commitments and promises to the Lord that you don't see through? It is only a moment. The next story in Mark's gospel gives us foreshadowing of Peter's ultimate betrayal. Jesus takes the top three to Gethsemane with him to pray. And they don't. They keep falling asleep. Christ's commitment to Peter is greater than Peter's lack of commitment to Jesus. And we should be grateful for that. Your commitment to Jesus is not what sees you through this. It's His commitment to you. But if we take for granted that, we will always be out of alignment with what God has for us as His people. The faithfulness of Jesus is what carries His people forward. The faithfulness of Jesus is what we can cling to. Are we clinging to that? At the beginning of the meal, they sing Psalm 113 and 114. And at the end of the meal, the tradition was for them to sing another song, psalm, more psalms. And they would sing Psalm 115 through 118. And they were celebrating God's past deliverance. And God's deliverance of the children of Israel came with multiple moments of, of them dropping the ball and making mistakes. But God was faithful to see them through. But not only does it look back at his past deliverance, it looks to his future restoration of his people. And we can see in the story of Peter that Jesus will eventually restore him. And we see in every story of the believer in this room who falls short that Jesus is still the one restoring you, doing right by you, making you righteous. They were celebrating that God had been with them while knowing that God would see him through. Is that what we do? Psalm 117, one of those four psalms reads this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Glorify Him, all peoples. For His faithful love to us is great. And the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our God is consistently faithful in the face of our inconsistency. He is. He just is. So we remember what took place on the cross when we take of the cup and the bread. It's something that we take to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness to us. Now, it's been to we've been told for much of our lives, if we've been in church much, that it's a symbolic rem reminder. It is that, but it's more than that. It's the sacred consideration of who this Jesus is, who shed his blood for me, whose body was broken for me. It's just a little cup, though. And if you look at it as, and you see it, that it's just a little cup, and you think about it for just a moment, that's kind of... One gentleman used the word Pathetic. If you see it just for what is there, 
But for those of us who are in Jesus, what we are saying is that when we take of that cup, we're reminding ourselves and remembering that it's just a glimpse of what God has done for us. It's a reminder of what will be made completely, fully revealed when we are with Jesus forever on top of forever. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. Two things. If you're not a believer in this room, we're going to take of the cup and we're going to eat of the bread in a moment. And Jared will walk us through that. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, I implore you, please do not take this cup. Please do not eat the bread. Just don't. Please don't. If you are in relationship with Christ, you are invited to take of the table because we are partnered together for the ongoing of God's kingdom with one another. But consider, before you do, am I remembering the reason that I do this? Would you bow your heads with me? If you do have no relationship with Jesus this morning, if there's no relationship that is there, Jesus is capable of saving you more than you are able to run from him. Jesus loves you more than your sin says that you hate him, that you are indifferent to him. If you've never trusted Christ, Jesus, I need you to save me. Your broken body. When your body was broken for me, I want to place my trust in you. Your blood was shed. I want to be part of this thing you call a family. Jesus, I want to be in relationship with you. If you prayed that or something like that, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. I'd love to take the cup with you. Break the bread with you and walk through what it means for you to be in relationship with Christ. If you're a believer in this space, just wrestle with it a little before you jump up and grab that cup. We trust you, Christ. It's in your name we pray.